Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Tamor, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm in Cambridge this weekend, hanging out with you and some of our friends. Um, yeah, it's been a fun weekend. I'm about to head home back to London. How, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, you're in Cambridge this weekend, <laughs> hanging out with me and some of our friends. And so it's been a fun weekend. Played some board games last night. Played Avalon. Avalon's a great game. Mm. Yeah, generally pretty chill vibes all around. Yeah, I think the board games thing is something I don't really have enough of in my life generally. And like we yesterday when we were all playing, there was maybe like five or six of us. I was kind of thinking, man, this is sick. I'd like to do this like once a week or something. And in my current sort of lifestyle in London slash St. Albans, I don't do it once a week at all. Um, but it's a nice thing. Yeah, I think like every, everyone I know who has regular board games and I'd say is it's like one of the best things ever. Yeah. And you have to just find the right group of people that will sort of take it sufficiently seriously. Because I think one of the issues with board games is that if you're around a casual group of friends, it it's considered weird to be to, to suggest, hey guys, let's play some board games. Yeah, I think you do a poor job of, of of the setup because whenever I suggest board games, you have a very dismissive, oh man, just enjoy the vibe. <laughs> and it's like a very dismissive, like, all right, fine, I'm, I'm not going to mention the board games thing. Wait, no, no, no. You do it at times where it's inappropriate. Yeah. You do it at times where the vibe is clearly not that we're going to play board games. Yeah. And you're like, you know, people literally like walk into the house. It's the middle of the afternoon. They've come over for lunch or something. Yeah. Uh, and there's maybe like eight of them and as soon as they walk in you're like all right guys let's play articulate and like the vibe isn't right for board games okay if it's no. like an evening thing yeah. with the right group of people i'm more than down for some board games i think the vibe is often more right for it than 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 you would like to think mm, anyway maybe important message for this podcast is that this podcast is very kindly brought to you by skillshare yes Tamer, what is skillshare skillshare is the best way to teach yourself anything non-mathematical online Wait, are Brilliant still sponsoring us? Do we still have to? Uh, there will be at some point, yeah. Okay. In that case, yeah, Skillshare, if you want to learn anything not related to maths or computer science, Skillshare is a great way to do that. You've got some Skillshare classes. Oh, I've just released a new Skillshare class. It's called How to Be Happier, a Masterclass in Stoicism. Stoicism is the sort of ancient school of Greek philosophy or something. Uh, so me and my friend and our friend Sam, who is a theology and philosophy teacher, we sat down and spoke to the camera for like 10, 11, 12 videos where we talked about five of the fundamental principles of stoicism and five concrete ways in which we've applied it to our lives to make our lives happier, healthier, and more productive. And so that's available on Skillshare along with my class on how to edit videos, along with a long course on how to study for your exams, along with a long class on how to use Anki flashcards, and along with a long class about how to be more productive. So there's like literally dozens of hours of my stuff on Skillshare if if you fancy that. But if that doesn't stand up your street, Skillshare also has thousands of classes from all sorts of topics like entrepreneurship and business and cooking and interior design and graphic design and art and drawing and like literally hundreds, if not thousands of things. So head over to Skillshare.com slash not overthinking to get your two month free trial. And at the end of the trial, you can sign up to an annual premium subscription, which is less than $10 a month. How was that? That was great. I'm really glad we did that. All right. So on to this episode. This week, we're joined by a very special guest, our friend, Lucia. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me here. It's very fun. Great to have you. How do you feel about this? You had some 
reservations <laughs> yeah this morning when this was decided yeah well we were meant to be going for brunch in town and then these guys picked me up and were like we're actually going to film a podcast going to record a podcast and i was like oh what, what with me and they were like yeah and i was like ah oh, okay <laughs> seems like there's little choice involved <laughs> <laughs> it was fully consensual just for the, for the record yeah. so, so how did you feel when the uh the fateful words were spoken um i don't know a bit like okay but it might just be really, I don't know, like, what if I do a bad job? Okay. Mm. So you're yeah. worried about kind of like performance anxiety? Yeah. Or like, I don't know, I could say something super weird or like controversial or boring. I don't know. I think, okay. I, yeah. And I'm surprised that you guys don't feel like that more. You're yeah. so chill about it. You're just like, oh, just have a chat. And I'm like, yeah, but. Yeah, I think at the start, I used to sometimes feel like, oh, man, what if this is a really bad episode? But uh, yeah, I think, yeah, you're just kind of over it. Yeah. Okay. I think cool. that that's a nice thing about a podcast vibe is that it is pretty much just having a chat. Yeah. And um, there's a guy called Tyler Tyler Cohen who has a has a podcast called like Conversations with Tyler, and his like the thing he says at the start of every episode is this is the conversation I wanted to have with this person, not the conversation you wanted to have. So feel free to listen in. Mm. And it's just like a, I feel like it's a bit aggressive, but that's kind of how I think about this podcast as well. That we're just having a chat, and if people want to listen in, then that's completely fine. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess it's like a lot of podcasts I listen to, they're like really good. Yeah. <laughs> like <Wow>. Actually good. <laughs> but I like you guys' podcast. I, do, I listen to it and I really like it. So, yeah. What do you like about it? Um, I like it that it's like I'm hanging out with you guys and I like hanging out with you guys. So that's fun for me. And it's interesting. You talk about stuff that I tend to think about as well. So, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, guys. We didn't plan. <laughs> Okay, one thing I wanted to sort of ask you about on the record is mm. can you just sort of tell us what what you're doing at the moment and like how we know each other just so that the listeners have some, some yeah. level of context? Yeah, so me and Ali went to med school together um, and yeah, we like were on placement together and lived together and that kind of thing. So we've been friends for like quite a few years now. Um, and what we're doing at the moment, yeah. I so I'm also a junior doctor, but like Ali, I'm taking a couple of years to do something a bit different. And at the moment, I'm setting up a charity, um, a health policy charity, um, <laughs> to reduce lead exposure in lower income countries. To reduce lead exposure in yeah. lower income countries. Yeah. Is this like a big deal? Yes, it is a big deal. <laughs> okay. It's a super big deal. Um, yeah, like one in three kids worldwide have some level of lead poisoning. Um, and lead poisoning has like really bad neurodevelopmental effects, reduces IQ, causes behavioral problems, um, yeah, health problems later in life. And the kind of effects on IQ have quite big earning consequences. Um, so in some countries, it's like 8% of their GDP is lost because of lead exposure. Oh, okay. um, and it's quite easy to prevent. Like in the in uh, higher income countries, we've like banned all the important sources of lead exposure, like gasoline and lead in paint. But there are countries where they still have really high concentrations of lead in the paint on their walls, and that gets into kids, and then um, yeah, has those pretty bad consequences. And it's just quite easy to prevent if you can just ban lead in paint. So, okay, that's what we want to do. So you want to ban lead in paint in developing countries who don't have who don't currently have anti lead paint laws. Exactly. That's okay. the one. And that would be like a very tangible way to to affect like the welfare of like a nation, for example. Yeah, exactly. It could be a pretty huge scale um, impact. Why has no one Why has no one else thought about this? Um, some people have thought about it. 
Um, but it is a pretty neglected area. I think that's because a lot of people think lead's not a problem anymore. Mm. Um, and it's also just not that interesting of a thing, like lead and paint. Like both of those things just sound like very boring. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> there's, there's a lot of bias towards like charismatic causes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, especially in like for like animals and stuff. Like people care about the sort of, you know, the charismatic megafauna which are like pandas and lions and stuff like that. Yeah. And no one cares about like the random ugly little fish <laughs> that's like going extinct. <laughs> and I guess the lead, lead in paint is kind of like the ugly little fish <laughs> that's kind of going extinct and someone should care about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's also like most people haven't directly seen or experienced or know that they've seen and experienced the consequences of lead poisoning. Like it's quite invisible. Mm. Um, It's like a risk factor for loads of things. But if you see someone who's had that exposure and suffered whatever kind of consequences, like reduced IQ or increased mental health problems or cardiovascular disease, you don't see that and know that it's because of lead. Um, So I think that makes it less like kind of tangible and emotive for people. Mm. Okay, so there's this cause which is sort of on the surface not very sexy, but that does have a significant impact. Yeah. How did you decide that? So, so for example, we're in the, st- in the, in the same stage of life where mm. we've just finished two years of being doctors in the UK. And now both of us are taking this sort of sabbatical from medicine to kind of explore other interests. Uh, the thing that I'm doing is kind of making stupid internet videos, whereas you seem to be sort of actually doing something that uh, seems to have some, some level of impact. How did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Um... So for me, my like main motivating factor in like my work and what I do has always been wanting to have a positive impact on the world and other people's lives and that kind of thing. Um, so I initially went into medicine because I wanted to maybe go into global health, public health, have like positive impact on things. Um, and then I thought, why don't I just try and do that straight up? rather than like, I don't know, specializing in some medical specialty and then gradually having influence on a bigger level like i could just right yeah do my own charity startup and and try and have that impact now i feel yeah. like the thing about you know wanting to have a positive effect on the world that sounds like the kind of thing most people would say like i think if you ask lots of if you ask any anyone who's in like the medical profession or you, yeah i think maybe like the three quarters of people would probably say oh yeah i want to have a good impact on the world or something but i think most people yeah i guess like why do you th- why do you think your approach to it is uh kind of different to the normal approach where i think i think the normal approach is kind of like uh yeah i guess not that focused i don't know maybe this is harsh but it's not that focused on the actual impact whereas it it seems like for you it really like is all about the impact yeah i think often the way people think about like doing good things is doing things that feel good Mm, yeah rather than actually trying to work out like how can i maximize my positive impact yeah like really like analyzing your choices rather than going with the option that feels like you're helping or yeah yeah i think that might be a difference what do you reckon yeah i mean that's so we 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 talked about a little bit uh, that a little bit in our in our episode that when we talked about the elephant in the brain uh which is like a book that talks about the hidden motives in everyday life and one of the chapters in this book is about giving to charity and they talk about how a lot of charitable behavior seems very much to be motivated by essentially the image that the the signaling that we want to do and the feel good nature of it and how actually all of this makes sense evolutionarily it makes sense that we have selected that evolution has selected for traits that encourage a sort of 
behaviors that make you feel good in the moment and charitable giving to your immediate community yeah it wouldn't at all make sense for evolution evolution to select for traits like caring about a dying child across the world from you which is why we don't really sort of quote care about it mm. um and in in the elephant in the brain they talk about how a lot of charitable giving is on the surface sort of caring about impact but actually if you look deeper you realize that people are behaving in all see all these sorts of ways which are not at all maximizing their impact yeah. but instead maximizing the feel-good factors yeah so I how think that's accurate how do you sort of consciously choose to think differently like what's what's the thought process here um yeah i definitely think it's also would be easier for me just to focus on like uh having a positive impact on things that are like immediately apparent or the people directly around me um but I also don't think it's hard to extrapolate from like, okay, I care this much about my friends and my family. I sh- therefore, like other people's friends and family, they care just as much. And it makes sense to act in a way that takes their value into just as much like priority as the people around me um, or animals or whatever. Um, okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? So you so, so you figure out how much you care about a friend yeah and then you try and extrapolate that to thinking that you should care just as much about a a random person in a different context yeah somebody else's friend okay um and i think maybe there's less of that feel good like i don't know like if i like directly went and like uh as as a doctor if you like directly go and like i don't know treat someone really well for sepsis and save their lives and you do all those heroic things in the ed recess and like you come out of the day and you're like yeah i feel so good i saved a life um and maybe you don't get that as much with that distant person um when you donate to like a high impact charity or something like that um but i think you can think about it as it being just as important Mm. um so you can essentially choose to have that feeling of like, hell yeah, I saved a life because yeah. I donated 2000 to the Anti- Against Malaria Foundation. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I think the, the elephant in the brain stuff is all focused on <clears throat> like why the, the, the fact that we do things to signal to other people. But I think with a lot of things, it's also like in large part to sort of signal to ourselves. So I think that the feeling good about doing something nice, I think that is like as much like self-signaling uh, as, as it is sort of external. I think there are a few other domains in which I've certainly noticed a lot of like self-singling. I think I think hygiene is like a complete. Uh, there's just a lot of hygiene theater. I think no one, very few people actually care about like what is hygienic. They care a lot, a lot more about feeling hygienic. And so I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. We probably have. Like you know, a lot of people would have a very extreme kind of reaction to the idea of peeing in your sink. Or, you know, like not showering every single day, things like this. I feel like 90% of hygiene is just like theater and it's about like wanting to feel hygienic rather than caring about what is truly hygienic. I've also kind of noticed with myself, and I'm sure I'm sure other people probably go through this as well, uh, some aspect of like work theater. Well, sometimes I'll find myself like, you know, doing work related tasks more to sort of feel like I'm working than to to actually like achieve some kind of meaningful end. Mm. And I try and like catch myself when I'm sort of, yeah, getting bogged down and wanting to feel like I'm working and wanting to feel like I'm productive. Uh, yeah, I think there's yeah, weird self-singling going on. I think uh, a big part of like how we think about doing good is kind of that as well. Yeah. Do you guys feel it with the hygiene and the work? On the hygiene front, sure. Like, I strongly maintain that there is very little value in washing your bed sheets more than more often than once every six months. 
Oh my god. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh. <laughs> Do you have something to say, it Lucy? It's smelly. <laughs> Do you? I think it would. But if you have a shower in the morning, then. In the morning? Surely to make it extra clean, you'd shower before bed. Yeah, so well, I'm gonna you, you I'm would, gonna be going and smelling Ali's bed sheets after this. You, you would accept that your bed sheets are gonna be probably a little bit grim because they've got like dead skin and dust on them. Yeah. No, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, and you're gonna accept that. Okay, so when I sleep, I'm gonna end up pretty grim, but in the shower, in the morning, I'll have a shower and oh, cleanse, okay. cleanse myself of the impurities. Okay. Um, and yet, anytime I explain that to people, people are like, "Yeah, but it's still weird. Like, you should, like, you've got to wash the bed sheets at least once a week." I like feeling clean at, at bedtime. Yeah. And like in your bed and like not having any weird smells. Or <laughs> I, like... I feel like I don't have weird smells. Okay. But may, that's maybe okay if then. I do, you kind of get used to it. Yeah. No, I, th- I think yeah. if you like the sensation of having soft, clean sheets and stuff, that's, that's fine. Yeah. But the, you wouldn't say you're doing it for hygiene then. You'd say you're just doing it because, you know, you, you like the feeling of it. Well, what is hygiene? Do you mean like infection control? Uh, yeah, I, I get. I, yeah, I guess by hygiene, most people would think that there's some kind of downstream health effects mm-hmm. of doing this mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I'd say there's probably not like downstream health effects of you having dirty sheets yeah <laughs> um, but i think that hygiene's not just the like infection control thing okay, okay. i think that it's also like smells <laughs> i think that's pretty key okay. um and yeah so if yeah. something smells weird even if it's not necessarily like but, dangerous like, dangerous okay, it's yeah. still considered unpleasant, unpleasant. okay yeah that's yeah. Fair. that's fair. yeah but if it's not unpleasant for you then yeah yeah cool okay no, fair enough <laughs> but what if you have people over i don't know <laughs> they might not like it but yeah that's fine well if, if i have people you. sleeping in my bed yeah could happen <laughs> <laughs> let's move on <laughs> and what about the work thing do you guys ever find yourselves oh mate i do this all the time <laughs> yeah that's a big one <laughs> mate the, the 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 domain in which i do this is when i think okay i need to work on like something that feels big and therefore, instead of just working on it, I am going to start by brainstorming. I'm going to get out a random pad or get uh, get out my iPad with Apple Pencil. Be like, where's my Apple Pencil? I haven't used it in years. Let me find it. And be like, you know, I'm going to start making a spider diagram to plan out this thing. And then about 30 seconds into this fruitless and pointless activity, I stop myself and I realize, you know what? I can actually like just make a bullet point list on Notion and it would work so much better than feeling like I'm working by doing a brainstorm. Um and I feel like a lot of this applies to studying as well, where the the, the feeling of work, the work theatre involves getting your books out, highlighting things, making pretty notes, making sure your things are, and it's all just BS. Yeah. Mm. Did you do I don't know if, I don't think I do that. <sighs> I, I've never been You're one to enlightened. like do any like extra work stuff. Yeah. Like I've always, I always try and just like. No theatrics. <laughs> do the like absolute minimum needed to get the job done. Nice. Um, yeah. But I definitely do do things to make myself feel like i'm working um yeah like like i'm trying to think of an example okay so one thing is when you're like at work in the hospital um and sometimes there's like just no patients to see and you don't really like it does happen um and it's just like really uncomfortable and um you find extra jobs that just don't need doing like, I don't know, if something needs to go to another part of the hospital and, like, there are porters to do that, I will just go and walk <laughs> around the hospital. Bring the bloods to the lab yeah. just because, why not? Stop the floors. Start, <laughs> yeah, start cleaning the surfaces for, you know. Is, is that to, like, signal to other people that, like, hey... Partly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, partly it's... You don't want to seem like you're just not being... Yeah, not being good. Yeah, you're just stealing taxpayers' money. <laughs> yeah, stealing yeah. taxpayers' money, sitting there on... I don't even know. 
mean, so my thing is that I would always just sit on the on the computer. I, I wouldn't go on my phone because looking at your phone looks as if you yeah, are. Yeah, that's a really yeah, signaling. You're not yeah, doing you're really anything. signaling you're not doing anything. Even if you are. Because app open. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I would like open up like a, a web notion window on the Windows computers and then be typing stuff away and like planning out video scripts. So, yeah, But people can see then that you're not working. No, if they, if if they see my screen, yeah. then they'll see that I'm doing I'm doing something that seems vaguely useful. Like they're not gonna be like, mm. wait a minute, that doesn't look like medical stuff. Mm. And I think it's more it it actually is more about giving the Im, the giving the impression to patients. Like when a patient walks into the ward, it looks unprofessional if you're sitting there on your phone slouching on a chair. Mm. It looks very professional if you're typing away at 156 words per minute, like bashing <laughs> out stuff. Like <laughs> you must be doing something legit. Yeah, that's very true. There's an acronym that I've started to come across on the uh on the computer uh it's called larping have you, you guys heard of this live action role play yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are you familiar with this not no. really oh okay um yeah it's like uh i think it's a it's a derogatory term that certain s- subcultures on the internet use to describe i don't know the way that some people behave uh, let me just try and find it. It's it's sort of adjacent to a lot of the stuff you. But it's also read. like a a game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So th- there's like the actual game of like live action role playing where people dress up and you know in armor and sword and shield and like mm. you know do that stuff. Uh, but I think uh, I think a lot a lot of how a lot of people live their lives is a bit like live action role playing where you you're trying to play some role. You know, mm-hmm. uh, let me let me just like look up um the, do you the, think that like has to be derogatory though like what if you're playing a role of someone better than what you would otherwise be like i don't know i think sometimes i'm not so sure about talking about signaling as if it's kind of meaningless i think signaling is just kind of communicating and communicating is a big part of being a human and i think the way that portraying yourself in a certain way or communicating mm. with your actions like it can be called signaling but it's also just communicating in like in a less direct way and that's like valid and yeah important so i think my take on the signaling thing is that there's no um moralism associated with signaling like mm. it is it is not inherently good or bad yeah uh it just kind of is yeah i think where it is where it becomes bad is when we deceive ourselves slash deceive others that we have a good reason for doing something when in fact the real reason is the signaling component of it but the signaling could be a good reason it could be a good reason but i think it's the disconnect between okay. what we say slash what, what what we believe and the fact that signaling is the main reason behind it okay so it's when you don't realize to yourself that you're doing something to communicate something to other people yeah as opposed or you, to a different yeah. motive also like so for, like for example the, the the thing that comes to mind is me buying like an ipad pro for example when i really don't need an ipad pro i could just get by with like a normal ipad but a i'm signaling to others that i'm the sort of person who uses an ipad pro and that that says certain things about me b i'm signaling to myself that i'm the sort of person who is discerning enough about tech to want to buy the best thing possible Mm. uh and if i were to say if someone to ask me so why'd you get the ipad pro and i were to say oh well you know um it's got a a 13x bionic chip and it helps me with video editing that would be disingenuous. Yeah. What I should say is I want to signal an identity to myself. I want to signal to others. And on the side, maybe it helps me slightly better with video editing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's my take on it anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think there's anything inherently good or bad about it. But I think like deception to yourself and others is generally not a great thing and should be avoided. Mm. And I think when it comes to, for example, the realm of charity, you know, given that... Uh, 
it's the sort of big sexy causes that get the most thingies uh, they, they get the most funding when the less sexy but m- but more like cost effective charities are getting actively shafted mm. uh, by not having funds funneled to funneled to them mm. i think there is real world negative impact of signaling yeah and in that context it's problematic yeah but then there's also the signaling could be like the other way so you could be signaling that you care about impact and cost effectiveness and that kind of thing so yeah. You could, but if you're if you're, if you're signaling signal. that, yeah, huh? <laughs> if you're signaling that, and you're you're also doing it, yeah. In in my mind, I don't really care why you're doing it as long as the the good the get the good gets done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and signaling in that case is a good thing because you want to be signaling to other people that you care about those things because oh, yeah, it will make absolutely. them think about it as well. And I think that's why, for example, when it comes to charity galas and all these sort of big events that allegedly rich people go to to like donate vast sums of money. Yeah. Um. You know everyone kind of knows that this is just a domain to uh, to compete with one another in the social status sphere. But the positive side effect of that is that lots of charity is getting money. Yeah. So in that, in that sense, it's a good thing that this is happening overall. Yeah, I think it's it's also relevant to like making charitable giving public. Like I think a lot of people feel like it should be a private yeah. thing and that um, there's something wrong or vulgar or showy-offy about talking about charity and mm. sharing that you're giving to charity but on the other hand you're communicating to people that it's a normal and achievable thing to do like the giving what we can pledge for example is like can be most people do it publicly and it's like a public register what is that um it's a pledge to give 10 percent of your income to the charities or organizations that you think will do the most good with it so it's about thinking about impact with your giving and committing to giving a percentage of your income um and yeah i think a lot of people like don't like the idea of doing something like that publicly but i think that actually you're communicating that this could be like a something that other people can do and if you're much more likely to do something if you think other people are doing it um like that's like a known phenomenon right yeah yeah. um and yeah i think it's important to signal things like that promote them in that way yeah even if it feels uncomfortable hmm yeah, th- this was a big reason why I was down for you and I doing that video that we did several months slash a year ago or something. Yeah. Uh, where kind of I publicly t- publicly took the pledge and you were kind of explaining the whole giving what we can stuff and the whole effect of altruism things. Um, my mom wasn't a fan of the signaling because she said that yeah, I think th- there's a thing in Islam that if your right hand is giving, then your left hand shouldn't know about it. Mm. I, essentially, when you give to charity, it should be anonymous and you shouldn't be signaling. Um and I can see where that's coming from. But my point is that, yeah, actually, if even one more person knows about this thing that who otherwise wouldn't have heard about it yeah. because of the fact that I've publicly said that this this is a thing that I'm doing, yeah. then that is worth the discomfort that I feel. Yeah. And ultimately, like, we, you want it to be a cultural norm. And if people are doing it privately and secretly, mm-hmm. it's just way less likely to happen. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I hope your mum didn't mind too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's over it by now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think when we when we do stuff, we broadly, uh, you know, for, for most things we do, we pick from an existing list of of things that can be done. <laughs> and so, if uh, you know, I guess in in the sort of normy realm of charity, <laughs> the existing list of you know charities or whatever, are like you know, in the UK, it might be like Oxfam. Yeah, yeah. If I were to think of like my charity categories, maybe like ten years ago. Um, when I was relatively normy about these things, I'd probably think, okay, there's like Oxfam type stuff. Then there's like a big bunch of cancer research type stuff. 
and then there's probably some animal stuff and then maybe some environment stuff those would be like the categories or something <laughs> yeah um and i'd think okay well i should like give some money to one or some of these things whereas if there was also other categories like uh you know plenty of people are donating 10 percent of their income to certain effective charities that like are doing these things if that is also a category then like i might pick that one <laughs> you know and so i think you yeah, it, it takes a lot of like being vocal and, and it, it it takes a lot of signaling to create these categories that then other people can easily pick. Yeah. Whereas it's hard to like, it's hard to come up with a category yourself. We're, we're facing a, a bit of this dilemma at causal as well at the moment yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, you know, there's lots of different like categories of software and it's generally considered a very treacherous road to try and like uh, sort of define your own category so for example if we were if we were building like i don't know some customer relationship management software like this is already a category crm already exists as a category there are people looking to spend money on crm software and so you know if we are in that category they might consider us and maybe we can beat out the competitors but it's like much harder to uh, create a whole new category because you have to convince people that like Mm. yeah this thing that doesn't they don't really have a mental model for in their head yeah you need to like get them to agree it exists understand like the value of it and then like uh invest in it i guess yeah because if they don't know it's a a thing or a category they're not going to be searching for it right yeah 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 yeah, exactly it's like if you don't know that like high impact cost-effective charities is a category of charity you're Mm. not going to google what's the most cost-effective charity yeah 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 Yeah, i think category creation is is, uh is difficult it's (laughs) it's gotta be done sometimes yeah so what's your category for causal? Uh, so we're actually so we. I still feel like we're in we're in a we're in our own category really, but I think I think it's a bad idea for us to like try and create the category right now. And so these days we're positioning it as a as specifically a financial modeling tool, even though uh, it is not specifically a financial modeling tool. So that's interesting. Like and in, for for the last sort of 18, 18 months, whenever people have asked me what does your brother do, I say I, I say he runs he runs a startup, and they're like, oh, what does a startup do? I say, well, it's it. it it's it's basically like a financial modeling tool. <laughs> oh, really? You've been it's, saying that? Yeah, like that, like that exact right. phrase, or, or or it's like a tool for making uh, a tool for companies to make their own financial models. Yeah. Um, as just because I know that. Well, it's a a tool for probabilistic thinking or right. whatever you sure, sure, sure. however you put yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's not going to connect with anyone. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, th- I think so you should hire me as your PR guy. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm looking for a job right now. Why didn't you tell us this a year ago? <laughs> I thought it was obvious, man. <laughs> I don't work for free. No, I think a, a lot of these kinds of uh, very horizontal products have a similar problem. I think Notion, um, I think their positioning has changed a lot over the past few years. Uh, and I think these days, or like not too long ago, they were describing it as like, uh, your tasks and wiki and something all in one or something like that. And like, that is 100% not the way they actually think about what Notion is. But like these are existing things that other people understand. And so you kind of have to describe it in those terms. Yeah. And then once people are in there, then maybe they'll see that like Notion's real vision is to build the future of computing, which it uh, they claim it is. Um, <laughs> so. Or something like Rome, where they sort of, to a normie, you have to describe it as, well, it's sort of like a note-taking app. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, it's not <laughs> It's not really that. But, yeah. to, but to go into that would require a half an hour long conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's there's like a general thing I've noticed when trying to explain stuff. I think previously, I would try and explain things as they... I would try and sort of accurately represent how I thought about something to someone else. And so that that usually would mean I'd give some like abstract explanation of a concept or something like that. Whereas, whereas I think like... 
anchoring something to something very concrete, even though it's not like the most accurate initial description of it. It's often like a much better route to eventually getting people to understand. Yeah, it's like using analogies or something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, analogies, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, I, I, f- I found this when initially people would ask me, so how, how do you make money on YouTube? And I'd be like, hmm. I, and I wouldn't, I would, I, I, st- I, st- I stumbled through like various explanations of this. And the one I eventually landed at, which, which works is, oh, so, so you know those five second ads that you see before videos? Yeah, I get paid every time someone watches those. Wait, what was the difficulty in explaining how you make money from YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> because it requires... There are going, lots of different parts to it. Yeah. There's ads, there's sponsors. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's a couple of other things. I, but mean, like... I mean, yeah, there's ads, there's sponsors, there's affiliates, there's your own products. Within the ads category, there are the five second ads, there are the 30 seconds ads, there are the mid-roll ads. Oh, okay. It, it, it's like... The, the the thing that people understand is those five second ads i get paid when you watch it okay right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is like so, sort of the basic concrete explanation of, okay yeah of the thing which isn't quite the truth but yeah, yeah. Mm. another thing i've been thinking about recently i don't know this is probably completely unrelated to what we've been discussing so far is uh and this this is linked to the book that i started reading a while ago and i mentioned on the podcast uh it was called the art of gathering and yeah i, I think this is related to the board games thing and related to the uh, holiday that we had in Scotland recently, uh, I think there's a there's a bad culture of uh, too much chill and too much democracy when it comes to everything. Mm. And I think everything is just most things are just a lot better when one person kind of takes charge. So I'm currently planning uh, sort of a travel with some friends, and one of them has very kindly just taken the lead on like sorting out the logistics and the airbnbs and all of that kind of stuff and i think on the face of it you know there's there's a certain failure mode that a group might get into where they think oh you know it's a group holiday everyone has to like contribute and chip in hey guys like what dates work best for everyone oh you know what kind of airbnbs do you want to stay in this kind of stuff and like in an effort to be like too inclusive and too democratic and too like chill and not opinionated enough i think so many things don't happen that otherwise could happen. And so, for example, with this Scotland trip we did last a uh, couple of weekends ago, if we'd have been very democratic about it, it just would not have happened. Um, we kind of just fixed a few things and said, look, here are the dates. This is what we're doing. Come along. And I think I think a couple of weekends before that, a friend of ours did try and organize a similar thing, but he was too democratic about it. And it just fizzled out because there wasn't like a single perfect set of dates that everyone could do. Um, and in, in the effort of like trying to be all inclusive, just nothing happened. Yeah. And so I, I think the same thing for like um, the the kind of board game night. I, I think that's what you were trying to sort of get at with the board games thing that you think I'm I'm sort of trying to be too inclusive or something when I shoot down your suggestion of playing board games while people are taking off their shoes when they're going to the house. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's, it's, it's you trying to be too inclusive in that regard. Okay. I think it's you not recognizing that actually at a certain point of the conversation, like it very much is a refresher of the mood to no, no, bust no, no, out no, double no, no, monograms. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd ever, I don't think I would ever. I think, I think you're kind of right about it being good when like someone just takes the lead and makes all the decisions because yeah. stuff's more likely to happen. But there is a risk that like the dictator will not be benevolent, right? Like if there's someone who always takes charge and I don't know that what they're doing is not in the interest of the rest of the group or yeah, like, I yeah. don't know, they plan your holiday to Scotland and every activity is just what they like to do, but everyone else absolutely right. hates yeah. it or something like articulate. that. Okay. Like literally just articulate non-stop. Yeah, they yeah. <laughs> articulate on that mountain and that mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's a reasonable concern. 
But you can't go that wrong in a friend group. Yeah, like if, if you're a group of friends, everyone has each other's best interests at heart. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there's not like one person who just wants to play our ticket all the time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think I'm going to leave now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's nice when there is a group dynamic such that everyone is, that that people are comfortable and comfortable to be opinionated, but that people are also comfortable to um, to push back against those opinions. Yeah, definitely. For example, I remember when we were organizing a group holiday to Brighton, um the you know the, we, we did the classic thing of someone looking up airbnbs and posting a suggestion of five in the group and i think even made like a google sheet be like I all right everyone oh, was that you oh nice because oh, everyone yeah. was just posting those of these suggestions in the group and yeah. it was becoming chaotic yes and so i made a google sheet with columns for everyone's preferences ah. so people could like vote on what yeah. the best one was yeah um so next time we'll, we'll be doing that in causal <laughs> um <laughs> But I think what was interesting about that is I very much felt like I, I really don't have a preference. But I thought, you know, given that I should cast my vote as part of the democratic process, that I should I should I should make a preference. Mm. Um, and there was one person in our group who had a kid and therefore had a, a very strong preference to have have their own room. Yeah. I was like, oh, OK, that's very reasonable. And it's very good that this person fe- felt comfortable enough to express that. Because from my perspective, I was like, yeah, to be honest, it doesn't really matter if half I sleep on the on the couch. Like, who cares? Because mm-hmm. I, I hadn't considered that as a thing. Um so th- I I thought it was good that there were defaults suggested, but that people were also comfortable enough to go against that. Yeah, and there was a comments co- column. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good Google sheet. Thanks. Highly inclusive holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it did take a couple people in the group to be like pushing things and be like, okay, we're going to go for this weekend. We're going to go to this place. And like, there had to be some like, uh, like unilateral decision making yeah. to make it happen. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for some reason there's a general, I don't know, I think just all the various things that we're told nowadays is very much a reluctance to take charge or like be... Be yeah. seen to be author- or author- authoritarian. Yeah, yeah, there's just like such a... It's just, such an anti-dictatorship agenda. <laughs> God. What's with that? I don't know where it's come from. <laughs> but yeah, I think like it is, you know... You, we shouldn't apply the same narratives at different levels of scale, right? Like, fine, maybe you want your country to be democratic, but you, everything else doesn't need to be democratic as well, you know? Uh, I think different things at different scales. How do you think this applies in the context of a relationship? Um... In terms of sort of one party? Is it, is, it, is it the case that... Because I think the fashionable thing to say these days is that, oh, well, it should be 50-50 of you know x whatever x is between the guy and the girl you know to in heterosexual cisgendered etc etc relationships yeah um and yet people from the olden days would sort of would probably be like well that's pretty idealistic generally kind of different people kind of take the lead in different domains yeah mm. the guy's going to take out the trash yeah <laughs> for example yeah yeah i think um i think with those types of like do you mean like uh task division and like that kind of thing like different kind of like roles in the relationship and like yeah i mean that but I, but I also mean in general of mm. like like do you do you find that there is a sort of in general someone is the leader and someone is the quote follower vibe in a in a in in a relationship i don't think so i think like the way i would see like a good relationship mm. would be that like you communicate about like who leads on on different like roles of the relationship like you have some like domain responsibility um (laughs) and i think like obviously there's no point in being like 50 50 each task like some people might want it to be like okay house chores are like 50 50 but i also think it's valid to decide that one person does house chores and the other person does i don't know 
making money or or whatever but i don't know if it like naturally tends not to be 50 50 in a lot of relationships in terms of like deciding who does what roles and who's in control of like allocating domains but i think ideally you'd want at least the decision making process to be 50 50 right okay Mm. so one thing i've heard a lot of girls complain about is it in relationships is they feel they it seems like they get annoyed when their boyfriends give them choice in the context of i've 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 heard the complaint from from so many different people oh, like people that, being indecisive yeah that you know he he asked me where i want to go for dinner like i don't want to make the decision just just tell me he he, he asked me w- which film i want to watch god it's so annoying that he asked me like just get, just like tell me which film we're watching <laughs> oh <laughs> do, wow do you see that as a thing or have i, just I haven't i haven't people? seen that as a thing i mean okay. sometimes you get decision fatigue yeah right like you have to make so many decisions in all parts of your life and yeah. in your job and that kind of thing and sometimes it's just nice not to have to make decisions mm. um but I don't know if that's like a gendered relationship theme. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe for some people that they like a guy to take that role or something. Um, but yeah. I don't Who is this Ali that you're referring to? <laughs> you're just I'll doing... tell you. I'll tell you. Off the okay. <laughs> <laughs> On an entirely different note, going back to our first thingy about like uh, impact and charity and altruism and all, all of that stuff. Uh, how do you, Lucia, feel about evangelizing in this context Mm. Uh, because for example i feel like if for example i had a very strong religious belief that people who didn't believe in who who didn't believe in zeus were going to go to hell yeah i would be very much and and if i if i knew 100 percent that if 100 percent knew that to be true of course i would be evangelizing to all my friends because i don't want them to go to hell yeah and yet you like well so a when it comes to religion people tend not to tend not to do that in polite society but you also have seem to have kind of these strong opinions about impact and and effective altruism and all all this sort of stuff to what extent do you feel comfortable in evangelizing it to your friends and stuff yeah i think i feel comfortable doing it in so far as it's effective Mm -hmm. like i think it's important that people make decisions to try and reduce harm in the world and i think if i can influence someone to i don't know reduce a lot of suffering then i think it would be wrong for me not to try to do so Mm. um but i think that it becomes if it's uncomfortable that probably means you're not doing it right i don't know like i think it's usually better to frame it in terms of like how you think about it and like i think usually when i talk to i mean our friends are pretty much all on the same page with this stuff but usually when I talk to people about it, I talked about it more in terms of how I see things and uh, how I've how I think about like trying to have a positive impact and how that affects my actions and that mm. kind of thing. Um, and I think that's a lot less confrontational or yeah, it's, it's, uncomfortable. It's a, it's a lot less preachy because you're talking about oh, this is how I see the world, and, and yeah, rather than this is how you should see the world. Yeah. Um, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think the way you do it is very effective because. Prior to kind of getting to know you, I, I hadn't come, I hadn't really come across any of this stuff. And sort of slowly over time, it just was just a thing that, okay, yeah, this seems reasonable. I, I, I kind of have to do it. Um, and you've not at all been like pushy about it. And I think had you been pushy about it, I would like the the three-year-old part of me would have been like, oh, screw that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it's also like with like other, it's not just about like giving to charity, but like career stuff as well. And like 
you know, veganism and all of that. It's like quite easy to, if you come across as evangelizing, to yeah. really put people off. Yeah. Like no one wants to feel like you're pressuring them to do something or you're trying to make them feel guilty. Everyone wants to feel like they've come to a conclusion themselves and it's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And you're just sort of slowly putting the strings very slowly. <laughs> slowly, slowly. <laughs> feel like, hey guys, let's go to this vegan restaurant. <laughs> hey, you guys, you love that vegan burger we had that other that day. That vegan burger was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> vegan Vice, shout out. Yeah. Not sponsored. Yeah, I think <laughs> ve- vegans have a bad reputation for being a bit self-righteous or something. And I think like, a lot of people are put off the idea of veganism just because they don't like the vegans that they have come across. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How do you thing. think I've done it with you? Like, have you been put off by the way I've spoken about re- veganism around you? Oh, yeah. I'm never going to be vegan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think like, I think I, at university, there were probably a few other vegans I knew. Um, actually, yeah, probably most of the vegans I know of are also in, in the effective altruist camp uh, that, that you're in. And so uh, I think culturally within that camp uh i think people are fairly thoughtful about how they come across to others and how you know what's actually the best way to evangelize mm. and so i I don't feel like you've been like a militant vegan at all or anything um yeah i think it'd probably be more acceptable for you to push back a little more yeah i, th- I think like you could probably evangelize more strongly uh okay. to me and i think probably the rest of uh this little group than you do okay all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! What have I done? <laughs> a vegan restaurant for I dinner mean, as well. I don't know, like, think about like our uni friendship group. Yeah. Like most people in that group are now like mostly vegetarian. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's been working. It's been oh, working. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, obviously that was their own thing. That wasn't my influence. But like, <laughs> um, but like, the I could have put them off potentially. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um. Yeah, we'll see, team. We'll see. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think I'm I'm on board with the vegan stuff. I think I am. I just like, yeah, I was talking to you about this earlier before we started recording. I just find it hard to go from like an abstract concept of like, you know, it's bad to kill animals. I, I find it hard to like, I, even though I agree, like it, it's probably unethical to eat animals. Um, I, just don't, I find it hard to like bring myself to care enough to actually change anything about my life. Why do you think that is? What do you think are the limiting, like factors there (laughs) (laughs) so i think like i think like with you for example if there was something some way i was behaving or way i was living that was like harmful to other human beings i think i'd be a lot more receptive to changing that um compared to animals uh i think maybe there's probably like an empathy thing there or something i think also just like i don't i just don't think animals have the same like the same moral status as humans or like i mean they obviously don't have the same moral status as humans but i just think like it's just so much lower like i just i find it easy to just be like ah you know yeah mm. i don't I, li- I like animals and stuff i i well i claim i like animals and then i eat them so maybe i, maybe I don't really care about animals but yeah i'm not sure what do you think would make you more likely to act according to your idea that it probably is right not to eat animals Honestly, I think if there was more social pressure, <laughs> if like I was one of the few non-vegetarians and my friends all thought I was dicks, uh, my friends all thought I was a dick for eating meat, that mm. would probably significantly <laughs> change the equation for me. But okay. I think like, yeah, honestly, I think it comes down to that. Do you think there's like convenience factors as well? Like, like honestly, I wouldn't be giving up too much if I decided to stop eating meat. I really wouldn't be giving up that much. 
Sounds like you should just do it. <laughs> I, I'm not even that into... I'm not a foodie in the slightest. <laughs> I don't actually care too much about what I eat. Yeah. So it's not that inconvenient. Do you think you're likely to move more in that direction in, in your life towards eating less meat? I can't imagine so. Unless like the social uh, situation shifts significantly mm. when, I don't know, 20 years from now, uh, you know, eating meat is like not wearing a mask or something. Yeah. What if it was like made more emotive for you? Like if you had to like, while you ate the lamb or like, I don't know, you had lamb today? Or while mm. you eat like, I don't know, the chicken you have to like watch a a video of a crowded factory farm with like chickens who can't walk and you know infected legs and that kind of thing. i've seen these videos and stuff and yeah i, I agree it's like it's not nice or whatever yeah I, I don't know i think i just treat like i just treat humans like very differently yeah to animals and like, i have seen these videos like i used to be really into like animal stuff mm. um and i was still into sort of animals and things but I don't know, I just can't bring myself to really actually care. That's interesting. Yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. I find that hard to quite understand because like mm. how, like, yeah, because to me, like thinking about that stuff would just make me feel sad or guilty if I then okay, yeah. like funded it with my money when I buy things in the shop. But I guess I think it's, okay, is it yeah. less connected? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's also less connected. Like I think my, the way I think about it, is kind of like look, all this stuff is basically happening. Okay, so for example, if with like being nice to human beings or whatever, yeah, you know, if I choose to be nice to someone, or rather, if I choose not to be mean to someone or something, mm. then like there's some impact there. Like they they will be happier as a result or something yeah. like that. Uh, and and I you know that, I think that's a nice idea. And so I would broadly like to you know be nicer to more people yeah and likewise like if there was a sort of animal in front of me i don't know if there was like some cats that were stuck in a tree or something i'd be like oh i want to help the cat but with the with the sort of vegetarianism stuff i just have the sense that like yeah fine i could like privately be um not eating meat but it won't really make a difference oh okay so it's it's partly that you don't you're not convinced that it will like I don't know. Maybe you don't think the markets are elastic enough for your buying. Yeah, maker, yeah, yeah, maker, yeah. But. I don't. I I think there'll be zero. And look now, you now you're gonna say like, you know, fine. You as an individual won't have that much impact, but like if you start doing this, then some of your friends will do it. And I don't know. Maybe like mm. over the course of your life, a hundred people might be vegetarian who otherwise wouldn't have been. Yeah. And then maybe that and does I, make a tangible impact. And I do think that the individual has impact as well. I do oh, think really? there is like market elasticity and i do think that like buying less of those things especially throughout a lifetime would reduce the number of animals that are treated in the ways that they are because it's quite a lot of animals so you're saying that if i as uh, let's just ignore me convincing my friends to go vegan yeah, or something just but if i personally stop buying meat you think like some somewhere in some spreadsheet at some point it would be decided that ah we need to kill one fewer chicken this year <laughs> kind of thing yeah okay all right yeah i'm trying to think if i if i like if i was on board with that what i care about and it just seems so distant and so negligible <laughs> okay yeah I do. what do you reckon ali is this similar to how so, so for me i don't feel a moral obligation to recycle but i do feel a social obligation to recycle and i don't feel a moral obligation in big part because i because i feel like the actual difference it makes is negligible but I feel a social obligation because it's it's sort of like like t 
to not recycle is sort of like not wearing a mask. Mm. I don't actually know about recycling, whether an individual has an impact with recycling. Mm. Like I've heard there's often like a net negative of like a lot of a lot of things that you recycle just take more energy to recycle them than they're actually worth and all this kind of thing. Yeah. I do have a reference for you about the individual impact of purchasing animals in a lifetime. Oh, okay. So yeah, I yeah. will find that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to read that. But I, mean, I, I, I do feel like even if I read that, I was like, okay, this is 100% legit. Mm. I, I can't imagine it like swaying me. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just a dick, man. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, I guess like cost benefit. Like what are the costs from yeah. your perspective? Like extra effort? Yeah, this like costs. So for example, today we had some like lamb stuff for brunch. I wouldn't have like you had a falafel wrap. Yeah, and also your thing came without lamb as well. Yeah, my thing had a non-lamb version. <laughs> but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have liked to have a falafel wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of wanted some meat. <laughs> okay. Yeah, look, I this is probably very uh, dissatisfying from your point of view and frustrating because I feels like it probably feels like I'm not seriously engaging, <laughs> but. I really no, I don't know how to. I think it's probably how a lot how a lot of people feel about it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't think I don't think I'm too unusual. No, in this regard. Um, but you said something about how if it were having an impact on humans, mm. um, you would find that easier to get behind. Yes, but look so at the same you... time, like I I'd probably spend money on things that are not saving lives, and so like if I, I don't know if I really cared about humans, you know, would yeah, I'd just be like spending all my money on saving lives. Yeah, so I was going to say, I'm not sure it is a human-animal yeah. distinction. Yeah. I think it's more about the immediacy of, of like, my my action yeah. towards the impact. Like, you would never not take a drowning toddler out of a pond if it was right in front of you, but you would frequently... It depends on the toddler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you like... I thought you liked no, being no. nice to kids. No, it's I one like, of your things. I do, I do like the kids. Um, but you would not save that kid's life in another country by donating to an effective charity. And that's because of the immediacy. Yeah, 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 most of the time, yeah. Yeah. The feedback loop. The feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think I just do stuff to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Cuff me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the one of the realms in which sort of ch- charity stuff has has an uphill battle because people will in general act in service of themselves and their groups and the things that make them feel good. Mm. And so as charities, you've got to figure out ways of Oh, but given that that given that that seems to be fairly in like innate human nature, it requires a lot of active programming on the part of the individual to break 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 free from that. Mm. Um, and so, for example, I think like charity water is considered like a good example of this. Like they make it feel good to donate to them. Yeah, and it feels like a sexy thing to do, and therefore people are more likely to do it. Yeah, I think there are there are two ways. There's one which is increasing the feel good and making people feel more of an emotional connection with things that are more distant um and that can be by like i don't know telling the stories or showing the pictures or making them feel more connected to you like they are part of your group Mm. um in some way and then the second way is more just extrapolating using reason yeah on the part of the individual on the part of the individual so you could say okay i literally don't feel empathy for these distant people or different species but i know that it's very likely that they do suffer in the same way as the people or animals i care about and therefore it would not make sense for me not to prioritize them in the same way right so i think there's kind of those two broad ways of Mm. kind of expanding your 
actions to care for more distant or different kind of individuals humans or animals would you agree with that yes i think i think that is what a good person would do (laughs) i think when i put myself in those shoes it's it's a case of yeah well it it feels pretty good to have the latest ipad (laughs) and even though i know that if i were to donate that thousand pounds instead it would save a life Mm. and and so partly for me the giving what we can pledge is like a way of being like okay you know what you guys have got my 10 percent. i don't need to think about this anymore i can yeah, I, I can buy, buy my, my iPad in peace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and put it under my pillow and sleep with it at night, <laughs> um, knowing that actually I am I am giving ten percent. Yeah, I think that that can be good because it can allow you to like live your life without having to make every decision, weighing up like should I be spending this money on myself on a luxury or should I be um, trying to save a life of a human or an animal or reduce suffering in some way Mm. um and i think it can be quite draining and difficult to live your life making every decision like that but on the other hand you don't want well one wouldn't necessarily (laughs) want that to give you like license to be like okay i've done enough i don't need to think about it anymore i mean maybe that is good enough Mm. but like maybe there's maybe it's good to keep trying to push yourself a little bit I think everyone has different limits, right? Yeah. Like you want to be, continue to be a, a functioning and productive person that contributes to improving the world. And you don't want to be like crippled by constant decision anxiety about like always making the best decision. Mm. Um, but then also you don't want to just give yourself license to yeah. do bad things. So how, how does that actually feel? I think you have a much higher sort of limit threshold, whatever you want to call it, of like the things you will care about. And, and the actions you'll take than, than I think most people do. Like, for example, if you buy a malaria net, which will save, I don't know, half of a human life or something, um, how does that actually feel? Like, for you, is it kind of like, for example, when I go to the gym or something, I'm kind of thinking, like, sometimes I'll actively want to go to the gym, but most of the time I'm like, okay, I, I should go to the gym because I know this is the right thing to do for my long-term interests, and that's why yeah. I'm doing it. Like, when you buy a malaria net or something or like when you i guess the vegan thing is now a habit so you probably don't actively think about it but like when you do something good is it like is it like hell yeah like i just i just saved you know <laughs> half of a quality adjusted life year <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think like originally for me it was very much more like okay now i don't have to feel as bad about myself and and everything like whoa <laughs> it was more like okay. avoiding the guilt like you know, okay, maybe I can sleep at night tonight because I, because because <laughs> I've bought a I've been a, I've been <laughs> yeah. a slightly less terrible person, um, but I'm I'm not sure that's very healthy or good. So I'm trying to make it more like the other thing you described, which is like feeling good about doing the good thing rather right. than feeling bad about not doing the good thing. Oh, I see. Because I think for me, guilt often a very big motivating factor in most things I do. A lot of guilt. Um, yeah, a lot of guilt. But yeah, I think I think the the way the way it can more be exciting and feel good to to do the good thing is maybe just nicer out of curiosity when you were at university did you study for exams because you were worried about failing or did you study for exams because you wanted to do well um or somewhere i wanted to pass my exams i kind of enjoyed studying for some of our exams um but I didn't enjoy it to the extent where I wanted to like get the best grade. I wanted to not fail. But I, with exams, I wasn't so worried. Like to me, it didn't have much moral weight to it. Like I didn't feel like a bad person or guilty if I wasn't studying. Okay. It was more just like practically like 
yeah, I've got to pass these exams, yeah. keep going, otherwise yeah. I'm wasting my time. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I was curious about that because, for example, with Molly, she she was very much in the in the camp of crippling anxiety that she's going to fail the exam, therefore she's going to so therefore she's going to study for it. Right. Yeah. And I wonder. I, I was drawing sort of drawing a parallel between that and mm. your guilt at not uh, guilt of being a terrible person, therefore I'll do a good deed. Yeah, I think that that kind of guilt motivating factor is restricted yeah. to like kind of things which I think have moral value. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess wasting my like the money I spent on. Uh, university and that kind of thing would have been would have been pretty bad okay yeah um but i wasn't that worried about failing either is it like so for example sometimes i would have the feeling of for example if i've if i've gone home from work and i know that there is something that i've missed that isn't really going to be a big deal but is going to shortchange someone and 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 there is that constant yeah and and i'll have to be all right i've got to go back to work or i've got to call call the water be like okay guys like sorry we're gonna have to do this extra thing yeah and i i can't sleep at night until i have righted that wrong that i know that i'm responsible for is that similar to the feeling that's it with the the marionettes yeah that's the one it's like yesterday with you tame i said something slightly rude to tame and i felt so bad slightly more than slightly rude (laughs) he wasn't actually offended but i was just worried that he was and (laughs) then you can sleep at night until you write that wrong i had to message him you messaged him (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was uh that was nice i appreciated the concern (laughs) yeah i thought worst case scenario you'll think yeah it's all good well i feel like you didn't answer the question about like how does it actually feel for you like let's say you yeah like it feels like less guilt okay so when you buy a malaria net or something if you decide to after this podcast just go and buy a malaria net and donate it yeah will will it kind of be like (laughs) if i i don't know buy a chocolate bar and have that chocolate bar or or is it like so right right now you're under you're drowning in a sea of guilt (laughs) (laughs) and that malaria net will be like (laughs) like a pail (laughs) yeah (laughs) like get some water (laughs) out of the sea and then throw it out yeah and only if it's extra malaria net to what i would have donated anyway as well oh really yeah oh wow okay <laughs> so, so your baseline 10 percent or whatever your percentage is yeah is now now has no feel-good factor it does you. have a feel-good factor it does okay. have, it's like it's like okay so say the guilt was at like level 10 yeah. and then like the 10 percent reduced it to an eight yeah. and then being vegans reduced it to a seven yeah. and then <laughs> having starting a charity and trying to have a high impact career has reduced yeah. it to like a a five okay but then it's still a five <laughs> yeah yeah so you got but right to, now recording this podcast it's a five yeah okay yeah and so after the podcast you're gonna be like right and <laughs> so are you are you content to live at a five out of ten for for the foreseeable future or a five out of ten is better than a ten out of ten um <laughs> but you, it's always nice to try and get it down further but i think um maybe i just shouldn't be thinking having this whole scale and framework maybe i should just change the way my brain is thinking about these things and start just yeah. seeing it as like instead of minusing yeah, guilt yeah, yeah. Adding, like adding happiness yeah, and yeah. like yeah 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 but i'm layering it rather yeah like when i do when i do my like end of the layering. year donating my 10 percent yeah. for a couple of days i'm like kind of buzzing like oh cool these cool impacts are gonna happen like i yeah. do get that i do get yeah. that as well i think a lot of people like in effect altruism are motivated more by that as well oh. um interesting yeah yeah i've certainly found like a good, we, we had a chat I, 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 it was either a few few days or a few weeks ago where I was saying to you that, yeah, this 10% thing, it sort of feels like a tax. Mm. And you said that, could you try it? Do you think you could try and think of it not as a tax? And since then, now when I'm making decisions about like, you know, increasing lines of revenue in the business and stuff, I I do make a conscious decision to think, oh yeah, and 10% of this is going to go to malaria ads. That's good. Yeah. And I feel like the more times I think that, even if I don't currently believe it, then it'll eventually become 
yeah. something that I, I actually believe. Fake it till you make it. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, you can, like, for a lot of people, it is a thing that increases their quality of life. Like, feeling like you're doing good and feeling like you're living in line with your values, like, mm. that can be fulfilling for people. I yeah. think you could see it like that. I wonder. <laughs> so there's a the, the, there's an author called James Clear who wrote a book called Atomic Habits, which became like a sold sold lots of copies. And at the bottom of his website, he says something like one percent of proceeds from all my sales, or or ten percent, or, so, or some percentage goes towards uh, the Against Malaria Foundation. And he has like a rolling counter of how many lives have been saved by readers of the site. That's cool. And that's kind of cool. Like every time I see that, I'm like, a, I'm always like, oh, that's kind of cool. And because his site gets I don't know, like a few million hits a month. Mm. More people are going to know that that's a thing than would yeah. have otherwise. You could so. do that on, I don't know, one of your platforms and or even just keep it for yourself privately, like keep a rolling counter of like the positive impacts that you're having through your 10% or mm. maybe that would make it feel more rewarding. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Would it? Mm, probably would, yeah. And making that public would also probably drive more awareness to it. So. I have been looking for a design for, for, for my website footer, so ah. <laughs> see. I like those things on websites where like the numbers go up when you oh, scroll yeah. down. <laughs> I got that on my website. <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> uh, final point. When, when are you starting a blog? Oh, Ali. What is this thing about starting a blog? <laughs> I... Didn't we just talk about ineffective evangelizing? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I ask Lucy every time I see her, I'd be like, so when's the blog starting? Eventually, because Lucia is a guilt-focused person, mm. the guilt of not doing it would, would outweigh the discomfort of doing it. I guess I'm not convinced that it would be the most effective use of my time. But but then you did make some fairly good arguments that it might be. Mm. Um, I think you were saying that, like, sharing the process of some of the things that I'm doing, like, oh, my charity start and that kind of thing, would make it more likely that other people would think about doing that too and yeah. that kind of thing. But I also think if I were to write a blog post, I would just like obsess over it and like try and make it perfect. Mm. And like I would just drive myself crazy. But that's yeah. bad. And I could probably avoid that. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Right. Should we call it quits? Good sesh. Should we uh, have a... any uh, ins- insights of the week? We haven't done that in a while. Yeah. Let me go through my, my Twitter.com. Oh, a glorious insight I had this week. So I, I recently got this like ergonomic office chair from my desk. And when the guy delivered it, he like gave me loads of tips on how to like set up your desk to make it more ergonomic. And then I was like super inspired. And so I sort of revamped my desk setup to make it more ergonomic. And now it feels so nice sitting on this chair. <laughs> and now like I haven't had back pain from sitting on the computer for extended periods of time for the last few days. And so I'm, I, I really buy this whole ergonomic stuff now. That's good. Lower back pain is a really big contributor to the global burden of disease. Is it? Yeah. Oh, damn. It's a big one. Wait, what? I don't know what percent, but low back pain is a big deal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently like 80% of people in, like in the, in the developer world have lower back pain. Yeah, it's super common. Just give me a moment here. All right. All right. I'm going to read a highlight from uh, The Courage to be Happy. Ah, that's a good one. So this is from a book called The Courage to be Happy. It's a sequel in some ways to The Courage to be Disliked. I think the titles are misleading, but these are good books. Anyway, here's a highlight. Uh, I think it's on the topic of what it means to respect another human being. First of all, one sees the person as he is. You have not seen anything yet, and neither have you tried to see. Uh, in this sense, he's talking to the person who's learning about how to respect people. Uh, he says, place value on the person being that person without pushing your own value system on them, and further assist in their growth or unfolding. That is precisely what respect is. In the attitude of trying to manipulate or correct another person, there's no respect whatsoever. I think oh. this is... Uh, it is in line with how I am thinking about the whole respecting kids thing. I think yeah. there's a lot of uh, 
I think it's also relevant to what we've been talking about today about how you kind of talk to people about things that you think are the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, not kind of pressuring or judging or putting it on them, but more just kind of exploring how you feel about things and mm. yeah, letting people kind of make their own decisions and find their own ways of getting there, right? Mm. It seems, yeah, respectful. I'm glad you liked it, Lucia. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, team. <laughs> Uh, oh, we should read a review. We had a we had a nasty review this week. Really? Yeah, we had a nasty review last week as well. Yeah, mate. Oh God, nasty reviews. Let, let's hear it. How do you guys feel about bad reviews? Um, broadly indifferent, but I think if there if there's constructive stuff in there, it's a case of thinking, okay, is this reasonable? Is this something that we want to change? Mm-hmm. And if so, we'll change it. If not, well, then we won't. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't mind a bad review if it's something that like. Like, if someone says, writes a bad review, like, oh, you know, this kid stuff that Tame's going on about is stupid. He needs to just, like, shut up. He's, he's talked about this enough. I don't really mind that kind of thing because, like, I have, you know, I have a personal stance on it. I'm happy to be a martyr for the cause. Sorry? You're <laughs> happy to be a martyr for the cause. Uh, yeah, sure. But it's also, like, a, a deliberate thing. Whereas if it's if it's something like, okay, so let's read this one. There's a three-star review from uh, someone in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, it's entitled Whirlpool. Uh, they say your content is really good, especially your early episodes. However, some of the recent episodes Wait, where... we 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 read this one last week. No. No, yeah. we didn't. No, it's it's a similar message. But oh wow, it's, okay, it's sorry. I do apologize for interrupting you. Yeah. Uh so your so your early episodes were good. However, some of the recent episodes where there is no guest involved, you will deviate from the main objective of the episode to negotiate over and over about one word or a phrase which came out of one of you. <laughs> Each one of you will try to prove he is right and totally forget about the main subject. I always think of this phase in the podcast as a whirlpool, which will swallow any other important point in the episode. I'm still enjoying the concepts of your podcast. Keep up the good work. Um, so I think they're, they're probably referring to the last episode where we had like a 40-minute discussion about... No, the phrase challenging. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I got, I got a couple of tweets this week from people saying, oh, man, I really enjoyed that discussion yeah, no, about okay. the word yeah. challenging. <laughs> yeah. So like some, some people seem to seem yeah. to like when, when there is pushback. Yeah. yeah. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. What can you do? Cool. Well, I, on, I, on that happy note. Uh, Lucia, where can people find you online if you would like them to find you online? <laughs> you, like um, Instagram, like Twitter, website, um, blog. <laughs> I don't really have those things. I have, um, my charity has a website. Oh, fantastic. Um, it's called leadelimination.org if you're interested in lead elimination. Leadelimination.org. Check yeah. it out. Check it out. Yeah. Or, you know, I've got an email. You can always email. Yeah, if you're interested in emailing Lucia about lead elimination or uh, effective altruism or any of the stuff we've talked about, what's what's your email address? Um, so there's one on the website, which is lucia at leadelimination.org. Right. Nice. Yeah. And if you're interested in finding out more about the, the Giving What We Can pledge, then go to givingwhatwecan.com. Possibly.org. Possibly.org. Google it. Find it. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks a lot for listening and see you next time. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.